so they they were saying democratize AI, and that that appeared to be what took them from like two million ARR. I think they went from two to ten in like the first half of this year, and that's why they got scooped up by Databricks. And no, I'm talking about Mosaic ML. They went from two million ARR to ten million ARR in like six months. So they were the fastest growing. There's a bunch of people in this space. They're not the only ones doing this. So again, their shit's really no different than Primo or the other competitors that were mentioned. No, um, yeah. They had better messaging than everybody else. They don't now. They have shit comparative messaging, but that's probably because Databricks wants to go public and they want to be compared to OpenAI. Mm. And so they're, they made them change their messaging to just straight up compare themselves. Which I think that could be what we talk about on the pod is like, when is comparative messaging strategic? And, you know, Qualtrics did it. <laughs> Looks like Databricks wants it. Uh, um, we're already talking about it on the pod. It's the SaaS brand strategy show. My name is Ryan Copper. That's Dustin <laughs> Robertson. <laughs> Mike Dracy as always. And we're joined by a friend of the pod uh, in the past, now family of the pod. Bridget Quinlan is here. Hi, Bridget. Hey, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> Dustin, uh, so comparative messaging, right? I mean, that's what you were just talking about. I think so. Okay. So the what what hit the news this week is that Databricks acquired Mosaic ML for a a number with a B. It's being hypothesized. It's 1.3. It's not, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but um, for a big boatload of money. Um, and it's a trend that's happening. Uh, Snowflake bought Neva, which is a similar company buying a similar company. Was that in March or I don't know, it was a couple months ago, maybe. Yeah. I don't have the timeline um, yeah. down for all this, but it's obviously open AI triggered a, a massive floodgate of investment and possibility in software. And so everybody's yeah. trying to get their piece of it. Yeah. Um, you know, doing and messaging positioning, we've had a bunch of companies in this space come to us because they all are kind of doing the same thing. And, and, you can compare yourself or you can try to say how you're different. And I think Mosaic ML was saying how they were different. And that's what caused them to go from 2 million in ARR in January to, I believe they're at like 10. I don't, you know, this number of these numbers are public. So, but there is a trajectory yeah. of ARR growth that is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why Databricks scooped them up. Bridget, so you said the you, they came at them with a number they couldn't say no to, essentially. Like, you, if it's 10 million ARR and you're getting 1.3 billion, like, that's just like, that. was there a bidding war? We don't have to get into that. But yeah. they only raised they'd only raise 48 million. Like, it's a great outcome for the founders, the investors. Like, this is fairy tale stuff. Uh, Bridget, you said you had done a little bit of digging into the before and after of that comparative messaging or what Dustin is referring to as now as comparative messaging, but maybe was not before. Like, can you give us a little bit of your thoughts on kind of what they were saying before Databricks scooped them up and what they're saying now or 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 kind of whatever your thoughts are in that department, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So I took a look at their messaging pre-acquisition. And when I look at messaging, I tend to just sort of do it in a free flow kind of way and see how I react to it. And something that really struck me was their their category of generative AI foundry. So of course, you know, being curious, I did a little research into what does the word foundry mean and why do they choose something that was typically outside of technology in the traditional mm. software sense to sort of anchor their messaging. And I liked that 
idea of this kind of blending of different, um, I don't know, components that come together to forge something, right? That forging, yeah. creating something really powerful. In their new messaging, their generative AI for all, and we have seen the for all messaging again <laughs> and again and again. Um, and I think it dilutes the brand a little bit, right? You're going from having this anchor to something that's really kind of interesting and thought-provoking to something that everybody else is using, so therefore somewhat ubiquitous. And what they're really trying to get at is the democratization of, of AI, which is a really powerful message, but now they're saying it in a very sort of underwhelming kind of way. And so that was something that struck me initially. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Dustin. Yeah, I was just going to say that that democratization of AI, um, that was when we were talking to one of their competitors, they were kind of envious of that positioning. And it was a, a really nice way to talk about the outcome of using their software compared to the other the giant without even saying it. So there was like a graceful way to punch up. Um, mm -hmm. And now Databricks wants to be compared to OpenAI because they're going to go public next year. And they, they want some of that valuation mojo that OpenAI has on them. So they're actually purposely trying to compare themselves, which is interesting. I've, I've, I've not really ever seen this play out in real time. Yeah. And just to, you know, just to kind of get into slightly the nitty gritty for the folks that don't know, Mosaic is enabling businesses to offer their own large language models, correct? correct. Essentially what they're doing. Yeah, you can um, point your Amazon S3 database at a large language model, and then they will get the compute resources organized to run that model because mm -hmm. that's what's actually hard here. People right. have been writing large language models for a long time. Being able to execute the compute power in a way that's efficient and, um, and not only cost, but in time yeah. is what has kind of changed recently. Um, and I've even so had colloquial believe, conversations. And I'm not a data scientist, so yeah, just a marketer. No, no, no. I don't think anyone here would uh, <laughs> would claim uh, claim the title. Um, I, I, you know, I, even anecdotally, I feel like I've had conversations with folks even early into, you know, the Chat GPT stuff, whatever six nine months ago, where people were like, "Oh, wow, it would be really cool." if I could have some version of this type of technology, but if it knew more about what I cared about, either my business or our help docs or, our, you know what I mean? Like there's been a lot of, I think, e even early, just from a consumer perspective, people are like, it would be cool if I could do a version of this, but that used my shit, my data, my information. And I think like, that is what, to your point, Dustin, these companies are doing is they're saying, okay, cool. Well, we can do that for you. We can give you the access to these models using your information, your data, your business stuff, both for internal and external purposes, right? Like I've seen some of the use cases that are pretty interesting around, you know, could you train a, a chatbot on all of your tutorials that exist for your software and have like a 100% intelligent AI that knows how to train people on your software because it has access to every piece of documentation you've ever written about it. Um, those types of things I think are interesting and I think are kind of being further unlocked in this. Um, I think, okay, so a couple questions. One, well, I want I want to stay on the road of the comparative messaging piece. So so now that now that we're in the world of AI for all, which I'm I'm reminded of uh 
a sentence I think Mike you first gave me many many moons ago, which was what everything's important, nothing is. Um, and it feels like if AI's for everyone, it's for no one, or it's for anyone, and then it's uninteresting and uh, <laughs> well, doesn't just send a poop emoji into into the conversation. I, I agree. To Bridget's point, like this is like reverse differentiation. This is like mm. going from a differentiated position and bringing yeah. it into uh, undifferentiated using more broader, less specific, less interesting language for this whole and and democratization. Like how many times have we bumped up against that in the projects that we do where we're like, we're democratizing BI or we're democratizing. It's just like, oh my God. I, yeah. I mean, there's a value prop in there for sure. But yeah. anyway, this like kind of reverse, like, Whoa, whoa, you're you're getting too far out there. We want to make this more approachable, I guess, easier to understand for a broader swath. This is like mm -hmm. the opposite of niching down. This is like uh niching up, if mm -hmm. you will. It's like opening up the lens a little bit more and saying, no, no, the, the way you're positioning this is getting too acute and it's kind of scaring people off. And there's a broader value here if we open up the lens more. Yeah. Well, we're and looking at them moving from, um, you know, sort of a smaller audience or ICP. I mean, there prior there was a focus on startups and democratizing AI within a few specific industries. They couched that as solutions, which I really liked. They now have removed the word solution, but, you know, they're broadening their audience and their ICP. They're moving up market. They're talking about enterprise. And there's this kind of misconception that as I go up market and I and I am looking at a broader audience, therefore my messaging needs to become more generic. And to mm. sort of put it on what Mike would say, I would say your, your messaging actually needs to become more tailored because you're talking to people with different sets of criteria and challenges. And now you're mm. diluting it and your message is appropriate for nobody when you intend it to be appropriate for all. Yeah, generic's a great way to describe it. And it, yeah. that's just, it, it becomes um, scrubbed, right? And it, in and anyway, that's a that's a perfect word, I think. And and how do you get value out of that, Dustin, by going generic? Uh, so I'm going to put out a prediction and we can check this in 12 to 18 months. I think they're doing this solely to be compared to OpenAI. So when they go public, they can have that comparison for that valuation mark. I believe Mosaic ML's rapid growth in the market is slowing and will slow. And the primos and the other startups that are out there have an opportunity to take over that spot of being the developer's AI resource management tool that Mosaic ML once was. Because now it's it's bought by the big, slow, dumb enterprise SaaS company, which yeah. you know, is, is not that old, but... They yeah. are. They are. What they are doing uh, billions in ARR, and they're still not public. So, well, and isn't part of to this that now, if you're a Databricks customer, you have a product to cross sell every single one of your existing customers, right? Because if you've already got all your data stored with us as Databricks, now all we're saying to you is now point your data at this very tightly integrated large language model thing that provides you insights, you know, regurgitation, like they have cross-sell yeah. opportunities for their entire customer base right now, just by pulling this in and making it a tighter integration. I think Databricks main use case, just for clarity and why, why Mosaic is even more powerful for them is there, I believe like a multi-cloud uh, management platform. And so they're not actually in the business of selling you cloud space. They're in the management of helping you manage 
uh, your cloud space and your usage. And I think they have a their niches. They help you manage. You can have Azure and Amazon and Google, and they can make all of the databases talk to each other, and you can move stuff around really efficiently. So that makes the mosaic really cool because now you can point it to wherever your data is. If it's in, if you have some data over in Google and some data over in Azure, and you want to large language model on top of those, this Databricks is already connected and talking across those. And so, I mean, yeah, I think it's a definitely a, an amazing feature add to the Databricks yeah, tool yeah. set. But I mean, is a uh, go. There's a but. Well, I'm just saying. Oh. But we're here <laughs> to talk about the messaging and why would they dilute it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's strategic why they did. Um, it'll be curious to see what does that open up though for the other people that are in this space. I think they have an opportunity to kind of swoop in and go back and get that momentum of people who are not Databricks customers. So yeah, just, which goes is... to my question is, does the, do the, do these large language models, does it become a commodity uh, uh, element and is pricing part of the value, like reading into some of the background on Mosaic ML. And one of their big selling points was, it, look, it only took us like $750,000 to develop this model where OpenAI spent millions and millions and millions and millions. And is there going to be this thing where it's like OpenAI is like the high price premium. And if you want something more affordable, getting to this democratization of things, like we're, we're much more approachable, much more affordable. So is, does this become a commodity market? And is this a value play? Well, I think, you know, in terms of, again, like if we're talking about their messaging, uh, Mosaic went from being a platform, so there was some autonomy there in their position in the market, to being a product um, as a piece of the kind of the Databricks ecosystem. So again, there's that dilution of, you know, you have something incredibly powerful with Mosaic ML and you're combining it with this sort of ubiquity and access that you get through Databricks, but you're diluting the Mosaic's position in that by making them a product within an ecosystem rather than a platform in their own right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I guess I, I forget exactly what your question was, Mike. I was just sort of, in, you know, riffing off of what you said in terms of like, where does Mosaic now fit in this? And I think, you know, it's a fantastic strategy from a monetization perspective, but I think the messaging is not doing it justice. The, uh, just one comment on the costs, Mike, because that is like a big discussion in AI and why did OpenAI have to spend so much? And a lot of it is just the compute costs were so expensive and they're coming down so rapidly. So there's a bunch mm -hmm. of people who are trying to develop new large language models like OpenAI's um, and they're getting VC to, to go basically buy compute power to hone these models. And that's a really bad investment because as we know with Moore's law, compute power continually gets cheaper. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so Mosaic was actually in the business of helping you manage um, launching compute power to run these models, which I think is, that's like a picks and shovel versus trying to like sell the gold. Mm. It's, I, I believe it's a very good industry to be in and there's going to be a lot of successful companies in this space and they probably all are going to get bought by the sales forces and Microsoft's and Google's of the world. Yeah, sure. And good they're going to, to Bridget's point, get absorbed into these companies and turned into another module, product, whatever that you could just slap onto whatever they're you're already using them for and then connect that that AI platform yeah. platform product module to whatever it is that you already have stored in those those tools. Yeah, this is a follow-up question for Bridget then. So is this category really just a feature set? in the AI category, or is it its own category? 
Well, I think it has the potential to be its own category. And I think it varies or depends upon how that messaging is cast. The way that I see it right now from the before and after, um, it feels like a feature set. So Mosaic ML went from having a platform and solutions to now having products and industries that they serve, right? So their their position of autonomy is somewhat um, non-existent at this point. And at this point, and they exist in this kind of broader ecosystem of what you can do as it relates to, to, to Databricks. So mm. I do think there is always opportunity to carve out a category if there is clear differentiation in a specific problem that it solves. For them, combining that with the Databricks capabilities, I think could be incredibly powerful. But like I said, I think we're seeing this going the opposite direction they're becoming a component or maybe even commoditized. Yeah. And that commoditization component is one of the things that's interesting to me about this, because I feel like there's such a focus at a macro level right now about the words AI. You know, we've heard a lot about like VCs chasing AI companies or companies that have AI enabled platforms or whatever. And part of me also starts to wonder about at what point those two letters don't mean anything anymore. You know, I think it, it started meaning a lot to people recently in the news. And I mean, there are plenty of people who have no idea what ChatGPT is or who've never used it. But like, I think soon or maybe already AI is going to stop meaning something and we're going to have to go back to what are you helping people accomplish? Like, mm -hmm. because it being AI is not doesn't help mm -hmm. me accomplish anything. It doesn't tell me anything. And if it's going to become ubiquitous, which, you know, to your point, Dustin, if all of these, if the Salesforces and the Databricks and the Snowflakes are all going to buy up these companies and democratize it, you know, whether that's their messaging or not, that's what they're helping do is democratize AI for all of these businesses to be able to use AI inside of their tools. Now we have like a crisis of messaging across all of B2B software because everyone's going to say, we have AI, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's going to go, I don't A, know what that means, technically speaking, and B, I don't really care. I want to know what you're helping me accomplish with your tool. Totally. This is the crux, of, like I think for us um, as a business, and we're already getting calls from former clients asking like, okay, we've got an AI, you know, element to our offering now that we're incorporating. How does this change what we're doing yep. and, or saying the story we're telling and selling. And it's like, to your point, Ryan, it's going to be table stakes. AI will be yeah. table stakes. And if you stay committed to the category and the problem you're solving and the change in the world, um, then this just becomes, it's not what you lead with. It's just another proof point that you are the best um, um, solution to the problem that your clients are trying to solve. And people are getting, they're, you know, understandably, they're investing a, a, a good amount into these AI initiatives. They want to make sure that it's recognized and valued as part of the overall offering. Yeah. But you can't let it become the tip of the spear or you're just, you're going to be just like everybody else. You're just going to be playing the better game again. I have a, I have a, a short line of questioning around this that I wanted to ask about uh, to both you, uh, Mike and Dustin, and obviously I want your thoughts, Bridget, but this is specifically related to backcountry.com, which I know the two of you worked at a long time ago. And I don't know if this is a, an incorrect uh, likening that I'm about to make here, but I want to ask it anyway. Dustin, when backcountry first came out, what was like, what was the, what was the promise of backcountry.com? Why did backcountry work when it first came out? What was the promise? And when it originally came out, we just, um, brought scarce inventory 
and we gave it distribution. That was okay. it. So it was like really hard to buy an avalanche beacon. <laughs> so we put it on the internet and it was easier. Sure. That was it. As we evolved the business and we started to build a brand and we wanted that brand to be a flag people flew, then we had to figure out like, okay, why do people care? And that was connecting people to their passions. Mm. So we enabled the dentist to say he was a cyclist. So that transition, and you tell me if it fits, I think in some ways it's like, hey, we're doing skis, but on the internet. <laughs> and then everybody else had the internet to sell their skis on too. And then you couldn't say we sell skis on the internet anymore because that wasn't that didn't matter anymore because so did everybody else. So then you had to go figure out, well, then what do we do that isn't just skis on the internet? And then, and then that is its own set of exercises. And I feel like what I'm getting at right now is when everyone says that they have an AI-enabled CRM or an AI-enabled email marketing platform and or any AI-enabled website builder or whatever, I feel like they're that's everyone's version of skis on the internet. And at a certain point, we're going to need to get back to, okay, but what does it enable me to do? Why is that better than what I would be doing otherwise, et cetera? And I feel like that... Um, this acquisition is evidentiary of a boom in this area of a lot of people that are going to be saying they sell skis on the internet and we're going to have to get over that hump pretty quickly. Totally. Been, yeah. <laughs> that's that's funny. I, I love that. Yeah. Skis on the internet. <laughs> well, and when we think about something becoming kind of just ubiquitous or understood, like there's been this consumerization of AI. Like the yeah. fact that Throughout my entire career, I've really not talked much at dinner parties with people who work outside of technology about tech. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about digital marketing, didn't talk about data security. And I recently had a conversation with an 82-year-old woman where she said to me, like, what do you think about AI? And, like, <laughs> and, and we had a very yeah. deep conversation. She was well-educated on the topic mm -hmm. and you know what it means for people, right? So now AI has become this kind of darling of technology because mm -hmm. even consumers know what it is, but that's where you start to see this desire for, I have technology, therefore I have to have AI because I have to be a part of this because I need my next round of funding and I need growth to, yeah. I have AI, it's at the core of my business, it's central to what I do, and it's been a part of the evolution of the technology, and we're going to talk about that. So you get a little bit of this sort of, these imposters who suddenly feel like they have to have AI and they're constructing yeah. it quickly so that they can bring it into their their messaging and yeah. you know in some ways they're sort of falsely representing what they do because that ai is not really true ai and hasn't been core to what they do for the duration of the business totally. so i'm i'm reading off of our website right now which is drmg.co <laughs> um, and we'll have to update this but one of the uh pieces in there just says it's never been easier to start a new SaaS company Critical elements such as data storage, processing power, talent, and capital are more accessible, affordable, and scalable than ever. <laughs> and now we got to add AI. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, to that like list. Data storage, power, talent, AI, and capital are more accessible. Yeah. Like it's just becoming that other building block uh, for yep. a company that's going to be. Uh, to Dustin's point, the price is going to come down. It's going to be table stakes. And that's the consumerization part too, Bridget. That I also find really interesting is like the. You know, I I think it was strategic in nature, but I think OpenAI introduced ChatGPT long before they had like a significant foothold in the B two B space, 
because it's so much easier to sell the concept of AI once you've rolled it out to tens of millions of people who've had an AI interaction and interacted with an AI chatbot and gone, now I have familiarity with the concept. Now I understand the power of it. And now that trickles up any institution, any business, any corporation or organization to say, this is really powerful. How can we incorporate this into what we do? Well, now everyone's going to go chase all of the B2B implementations of it. But to your point, Bridget, 82-year-old women are more versed in it because they rolled out this, this consumerized version of AI well before they rolled it out into like a corporate world and introduced it through the, the B2B messaging space, if you will. An interface was consumer interface that made it that took down the barriers of of access and usability yep. and understanding. I mean, it still exactly. took a little bit. I think I can't remember. Somebody might correct me if I'm wrong. The adoption was like a hundred million users of ChatGPT within like uh, two months or something like that. It was insane. I don't remember the numbers, but it was it was something. And then and then when the ChatGPT app dropped on the iPhone, it had like some insane <laughs> number of. I think it's recently been beaten by the threads release but yeah threads <laughs> thre threads i think knocked it out of the water but it was like close to one of the most downloaded apps of all time um in in whatever time span but yeah i mean that yeah. that ubiquity creates that understanding and now in, in some ways it's almost like you know business is catching up with the consumer version of this with the acquiring of these companies and the the democracy democratization component and absorbing this into people's existing you know, products and platforms and go-to-market strategies. So what do you do? What do you do? If <laughs> you're, do you do? if, what do you do? If you're a, if you are a B2B business and this is what's happening right now, you know, if we're talking to our customers, like, what do you do in the face of these acquisitions and this technology becoming available and the ubiquity of these terms? And you're probably thinking about introducing this type of stuff into your products and platforms if you haven't already. So, I mean, Super fast, my perspective, we've had a couple, as I said, current or former clients come back to us and be like, what? And if you look at what what's going on, they came out strong with a point of view on, on the category strategy and all the elements that we helped them build. And then it's kind of been a little bit diluted as they've had to like deal with competition and chasing sales. And they built up their sales team and just haven't had a like the strongest advocate for sticking to the, the plan, which is understandable. And it's like, okay, like this is, are we, does the category strategy that we've developed, does it still, does this roll into it relatively seamlessly? We always talk about the product feature benefits uh, element of the strategy has to kind of seamlessly snap into the category thing, or you're going to have that, that non sequitur, that record scratch, that's not going to resonate with, with your target customer. And so when I'm thinking about that hierarchy and how everything has to work together, it still has to all work together. And that's an oversimplification of that. But there's, uh, if, if you decide like, no, we're all AI all the time now, we're gonna lead with that. Well, that's a whole new, that's a whole new, it should be a whole new category strategy, but ultimately you shouldn't have to change too much. But if you've been doing the positioning game and changing your positioning every six months, yeah, it's gonna have a, it's gonna leave a mark. Yeah. Your category is broad enough um at its inception to be able to account for big changes in the world uh mm -hmm. that maybe you're not even anticipating then i think the category can can grow with you as you add new sort of messaging core elements around things like ai 
But if you've painted yourself into a corner with a category that's so highly specific that you can't sort of pivot and shift and account for market changes or changes to your tech stack, then I agree with you, Mike, then you need to recast that category um, and kind of go back to the to the drawing board. And hopefully that time find something that is broad enough to grow with you in the next three, five, seven years. Yeah, right, I, got a hot, I, I got a hot take. Let's let's hear. I love a, I love preparing us for a hot take too. Like, it must be pretty smoking. <laughs> Ready yourself. Hit, hit me, hit me, Dustin. <laughs> I'm bracing for impact. Uh, like almost nobody is in the is in the AI category. You're delivering some outcome <laughs> with AI. Yes. So don't talk about AI. Yes. The customer that reached out to us is in the automotive space. They literally like build tech for the service department. And they have some cool AI that's going to help those guys. Do you think those service techs care that it's AI? They just yes. care that they're able to deliver this amazing experience and not yes. have to do anything. Yes. And so, he's on the internet. internet. It, yeah, just like he's on the internet, right? I don't. Yeah, I don't care that it's internet enabled anymore. Tell me what problem you're solving for me. Yeah. So Mosaic ML is in the AI category, and they do AI infrastructure stuff. And so I think. When we talk about the AI category, we need to separate it to be like, look, everybody's yes. going to have AI driving their outcomes and their software. If you don't, yes. you're going to get left in the dust. So there's that. And then there's people that actually build AI infrastructure things that need to figure out how they talk about themselves within the AI category because AI is skis on the internet. Yeah. The, the metaphor that popped into my head when you were talking, Bridget, which I know is just an aggressive oversimplification of everything. But like, if the problem you saw, if, if you if you know what the problem is, and that's like a wall, and you as a business are the battering ram that can knock down that wall, AI just either like sharpened the tip of your battering ram, or it added a couple thousand pounds of weight to the back of your battering ram, but it's not your battering ram. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's like, I feel like, I feel like, it can be an accentuator to the thing that you're already doing, but it should really only be helping you do that thing better for other people. It's not the thing you're doing. I mean, I think to Dustin's point, it's the AI is a means to an end, to an end, yeah. right? Yes. It's, um, and you know, an automotive tech doesn't necessarily care that you have AI, but they care about the value and the power of it and yeah. how it changes their lives. Yeah. And so I think that's a, a really important distinction, Dustin, to say, yes, we do have this kind of AI category and those who are innovating around AI. And then we have those who leverage AI to do great things within their product set. And now your category shouldn't change when you add AI to the mix. It only becomes more powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, what happens to Mosaic ML with Databricks, Bridget, to your point about it's, it's no longer a platform, it's a product. Are they going to absorb it, as Ryan says? Are they going to keep it as a standalone? Do they just eventually like just swing it in as part of the product suite and it becomes a sub-brand of the master brand? Right. I mean, we've seen this evolution again and again and again with large technology companies acquiring smaller businesses, right? And, you know, typically there's some autonomy that the acquired company maintains because you can't just shift everything overnight. You need to keep... Uh, closing deals and driving revenues. So, I mean, there's always the move towards an ingredient branding strategy where uh, Mosaic ML becomes kind of a piece of the Databricks platform, but maintains their brand. And then eventually you often see that kind of complete absorption of that acquired company into that broader brand where they become, again, like kind of a component or a piece of it, um, rather than maintaining their autonomy. And 
you know, I, I don't actually have a prediction here because I don't feel like I have enough kind of data to 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 inform that decision. But knowing what large companies typically do, um, there is this kind of absorbing of the new brand. And that is potentially, um, you know, where we're going to see this go. But as a component of a larger kind of ecosystem, you still have to be able to differentiate the kind of the value based on the value Mm-hmm. And what you offer to the market, and I would hope to continue to see some level of differentiation, even while they're becoming absorbed. With just a follow up to that, and maybe this is off topic, but you know it, what we were talking about is ten million or twenty million ARR. Was was Mosaic mm-hmm. big enough to have like brand name recognition, where it's not going to kill them if they just be like, uh, "We're going to absorb you, and you become, as you say, an ingredient brand." I'd kind of almost ask Dustin to weigh in on that. If not, I can, but I think his response might be a little more insightful than mine. Oh, don't, don't set me up like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to share the mic. Uh, Um, Brand equity of Mosaic and Alley. I mean, yeah, it's there, but everybody also knows they've been acquired. So do they do they lose that? I mean, I think if the process is handled correctly and incrementally as described, then then no, you still understand that the the underlying technology sits with Mosaic ML and how long they maintain that brand is yet to be determined. I think those transitions can be managed well, but really what it comes down to is are they still differentiating on like their messaging around their piece of that ecosystem? Yeah, and just one more layer and then I'll leave it alone. Like their LLM is, their brand is MPT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so their that's chat GPT is away. MPT, yeah. I, really quickly, I just want to add some some hard data to the conversation. I read the Venture Beat article about the um, the acquisition and the plans for what's next, and I'm reading directly from uh, VentureBeat.com article titled "Databricks is acquiring Mosaic ML for a jaw dropping 1.3 billion dollars," where they say, "Now with this deal." All these offerings from Mosaic ML will come under the umbrella of Databricks, which provides enterprises with a platform to store structured, unstructured, and semi-structured data, an element critical to AI training models. As the company has explained, once the transaction closes, the entire Mosaic ML team, including its AI research department, will join Databricks, and the platform's training and inference tools will be integrated into Lakehouse, which is like what they refer to their platform as, but it's weirdly unbranded. It's like lowercase. I don't know what's going on with that, but uh, this will create a unified offering uh, giving enterprises both easy access to data and the tools needed to build, train, and deploy their own private generative AI models. And the combined offering is also expected to bring down the cost of training and using LLMs. So it sounds like from their perspective, they are for sure going to be. And also high five for actually thinking ahead about, about that, figuring out how it's going to work. That makes people nervous, right? Like what I know and love and use that works is now being integrated into a broader platform right. with the the promise that this only gets better. And we all know there's usually some bumps along the way and you take your yeah. customers with you along that journey where it's like, I know this is a little bit you know, difficult right now, but I promise like when we get there and integration is complete, like this is going to be amazing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting it, to see. It reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if this connection is going to fly, but like, um, it was great, uh, Netflix early in the days when you could get all of the office and you could get all of the other shows from all the different studios and channels and all those things. 
And then over time, people were like, eh, maybe we're going to split off and make our own version of that. And now all of the NBC the stuff studios, is the in studios Peacock. Like, yeah, and, no, we're going to we're going to own our own. We're going to sell our own IP. Yeah, exactly. And then they just fractured all these things. And so I think like a little bit to your point, Bridget, I think I'm curious about is, you know, Mosaic saying, hey, you know, everybody anywhere point your data here and and you can have access to how we do our LLMs and that will be good for everyone. And now I'm sure Databricks, by pulling that into their umbrella, is going to tighten up that integration and they're not going to probably you know, index on other people's ability to use that model. They're going to say, no, you need to be a Databricks customer to be able to use our AI. And so now, and to Dustin's point earlier about Salesforce is going to have their own and Snowflake has their own. I think that'll be really interesting to see these sort of training models fracture out into who owns which model and which model has the leg up over the other ones in terms of compute power and cost and processing time and speed and all that stuff, uh, speed of return. It's, it, it'll, I think that'll be an interesting thing to see and 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 to your to your point and your question mike about br the brand you know is that are people going to uh imply their understanding of the larger brand that is acquiring these smaller brands onto their ai capabilities you know tbd i think these are excellent topics for future podcasts and dustin <laughs> has to run and so we gotta Ryan, go you should, you should we gotta go out. This, uh, this was this was an aqua hire. The space that Mosaic ML was occupying is completely available. Mm. All of you startups that were competing with them, fill the void. They're, go yeah, they're gone. They're mm -hmm. gone. They're gone. Yep. She gone. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sweet. There you go. Mike mentioned it uh, very casually, very no big deal. DRMG.co is where you can go check out our website if you want to learn more about who we are and what we do. You can send us an email at hi at DRMG.co. If you have a suggestion for the podcast or you want to get in touch with us to learn more about what we do and how we can help out in your business. Uh, in addition, thank you for subscribing and thanks for sharing the podcast with someone you think might enjoy it. It's been fun to see the follower numbers grow over time. So thank you all for doing that already with the folks that you've been doing that with. Uh, we love you very much. Have a good rest of your week. We'll see you soon.